Please open your Bibles to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, we are going to be in that story, that narrative that John records for us in that chapter. If you have been with us on Sunday mornings, we have been walking through verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the Gospel of John. When we first started this series of sermons in the Gospel of John, I shared with you some very important information. I shared with you that there are a series of sevens that are found in the Gospel of John. There are seven main characters that you see as you read through the book of John. There are Jesus Christ's seven great I am statements that he makes about himself in the Gospel of John. There is also the seven signs that Jesus Christ perform that points to something greater than themselves. Through each sign that Jesus Christ performed, he was wanting to teach us a very important truth about him. For instance, when he performed the sign of turning the water into wine, he was making a very important statement to the people that had gathered there that day. He wanted them to realize that he, had, he was greater, he was more powerful than the natural world. He was the creator of the world. When Jesus Christ healed the official's son just by speaking the words, another one of the signs that he performs in the Gospel of John Jesus Christ is sending a very important message through that. He wants people to know that he has power over illness and disease. He has power over that. How many of you have heard that old expression, we saved the best for last? Have you ever heard that before? Well, Jesus Christ saves the very best for last because this is his seventh sign. And in this sign, he's going to send a very loud and clear message to the religious leaders and to the people that have gathered on that day. He's going to call forth from the grave his friend Lazarus. And through this sign, Jesus Christ is saying, I want you to know, I am God in the human flesh and I have power over death. You know, that's the reason why we as believers have nothing to fear. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Our Master, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has power over death. He proved that he had power over death when he rose from the grave on the third day. So as followers of Jesus Christ, our hope is not in this world or the things of this world. Our hope is in a Lord who saves, who has power to call the dead to life. That is something to be happy about this morning, isn't it? And if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I will tell you, every one of you have been moved from death into life. 
The Apostle Paul said at one time we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but we were made alive in Christ Jesus. We were given spiritual life. We have been seated in the heavenly realms with Jesus Christ. I will tell you today, we can have assurance of our salvation if you're trusting in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. Jesus is the one who does the saving, and Jesus is the one who does the keeping. Amen? Wow, what a powerful story we're going to have the opportunity to look at this morning. On two occasions in this story, Jesus Christ is going to point to the glory of God. One of the first verses of Scripture that my family and I memorized together is found in 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, the 31st verse. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God of God. Over the years, I've spent a lot of time meditating on that verse. As I have meditated on that verse, I always walk away with one question. This is it. Is that even possible? Is it possible to glorify God in all things. When you have a child that has been pronounced with an incurable disease, is it possible to glorify God in the midst of that? When you lose a loved one unexpected in the prime of their life, is it possible to glorify God in that? In the spouse I choose, in the job I work, in the place I live, is it possible to glorify God in all things? Now let me say this this morning. God's Word never ever challenges us to do anything as followers of Jesus Christ that is impossible. Now, I will share with you very clearly, this is not possible in our own strength. It is only possible in the power of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives to truly glorify God in all things in life. It's not impossible, but it is challenging. Would you agree with me on that this morning? Would you agree with me today that it is very challenging to glorify God in all things? Well, in the story that we're going to look at this morning, the opening verses of this story, Jesus is going to give us some insight in how to glorify God in two challenging areas of our life. The first area, the area of suffering. The area of suffering. Second, the second one is just as challenging as the first one, especially in our American culture 
in our time. In our time. So I ask that you follow along with me this morning as I read out of John chapter 11. And I believe in this opening verses, in these opening verses, Jesus Christ is going to answer for us two very important questions. Question number one, how do we glorify God through suffering? And number two, how do we glorify God with the time that we've been given? Listen to what it is that John records for us in this narrative, in this story about Jesus Christ, a man named Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Verse 1, follow along with me. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Are you surprised by that statement? I mean, think about this. In the previous verses of this story, two different occasions it said that Jesus Christ loved Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And when Jesus Christ hears about his illness, what does Jesus Christ do? Jesus Christ chooses to tarry two more days before he returns to Bethany. When I read this, I think to myself, what in the world is going on in Jesus' mind? I mean, think about it. Two people that he loves, three people that he loves, he has the power to alleviate all of the suffering that they will go through, and rather than returning back to the village of Bethany, the town, and comforting the sisters, at least, at the death of their brother, Jesus Christ says, I'm just going to tarry two more days over here. Can you imagine what would happen if I chose to do that as a pastor? You called me and said, hey, I want you to know so-and-so is on their deathbed. Well, hey, guys, I'll be there in two days. You would think that I had lost my ever-loving mind, wouldn't you? But Jesus Christ deliberately tarries two more days. Two times in this passage of Scripture, it very clearly says that Jesus Christ had a deep love for Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. I wonder if the problem in our understanding Jesus Christ tarrying may be our understanding of love. 
Is that possible? Can I say that love always seeks the higher goal for the person? In this story, that is surely true. Let's go back and listen to what else we see here in this story. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were now, I'm sorry, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, And there are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen to sleep, but I go to awake him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Aren't you... You know, there's sometimes when I read stories out of the Bible, I just really wish Jesus would say what he was meaning. Don't you? I mean, he's fallen asleep. Well, hey, I mean, that's pretty wise on the part of the, uh, the disciples. Well, hey, Jesus, let's don't disturb him. Let's let him rest. But now listen to what Jesus Christ says. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that, they, that he meant taking rest in sleep. You know, one of the things that I see in Jesus Christ when I read stories about him, Jesus Christ was always thinking about the spiritual, not the physical. Do you see that? I wonder how many times we're thinking the physical and Jesus Christ is thinking the spiritual. It was surely true in this story. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. i tell you what, aren't you grateful for the disciples? You know, as I read the stories in the Bibles, I wonder sometimes if Jesus Christ just went off by himself and he just had a good laugh. I, I mean, you, you think about it. Let us go with him that we might die also. Now, that's a great confession on the part of Thomas, but in reality, he really doesn't realize what he's saying, does he? No, because in just a few weeks down the road, they would all have that opportunity. And every one of them would forsake Jesus Christ. I don't think it really is that Thomas understood what he's saying. Two questions that Jesus Christ answers for us in this text. Let's pray and then we're going to look at it, okay? Father God, we thank you for your word and the truth of your word and the way your word speaks into our hearts. Father God, please hide me behind your cross this morning. Speak clearly through me to your people. Challenge us through your word and help us not to simply be hearers of your word, but help us to be doers of your word as we leave this place. Father, this is such a powerful story, a narrative 
about Jesus Christ. Father, help us to go deeper in our relationship with you as we study this passage of Scripture. Help us not just to give or gain a surface understanding of it, but to really wade out into the deep water. Father, please grow us in your grace, in your mercy, in your knowledge. Father, hide me behind your cross. And Lord, we ask that you would bless the reading of your word this morning. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Two questions that Jesus Christ is going to answer for us in this passage of Scripture. The first question that Jesus Christ provides insight for us is this, how do we, go, how do we glorify God through our suffering? How do we glorify God through our suffering? I am convinced it's not a matter of if we will face suffering in life. It's simply a matter of when we will face suffering in life. We live in a fallen world, and as a result of the evil and the wickedness that is present, every believer will go through times of suffering in this life. There is no way for us to escape it. So in thinking in terms of suffering and how suffering will visit the life of every believer, we must ask the question, how do we glorify God in the midst of suffering? Now you may be surprised by this answer that I'm going to offer you. We glorify God in suffering by realizing suffering is a gift given to us by God. Now, I'm seeing those blank stares this morning. And I'm sure some of you are thinking this morning, oh my goodness, my pastor has lost his mind today. Did I really just hear him say that suffering is a gift given to us by the Lord? And that's exactly what I said. And I'm sure some of you are thinking to yourself, well, you show me where that is found in the Word of God. Well, I assure you that it's there. I assure you in the Word of God, in more than one place, it teaches us that the suffering that we experience in this world is actually a gift from God. Several years ago, I ran across a verse of Scripture that forever changed my perspective, my understanding about suffering and its purpose in the life of the believer. I want you to hear it this morning. It is found in Philippians, the first chapter, verse 29. Listen to these words. For it has been granted to you. Now just stop right there. I want you to underline that word granted. Some translations say it this word. It has been given to you. Other translations even take it a step further and they say this. It has been given to you as a gift is what it says. The Apostle Paul, in writing to the church of Philippi, says these words, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe, now get it, but also suffer for His sake. Those words are penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. 
Paul makes it very clear to the church at Philippi that the suffering that they experience for the cause of Jesus Christ is actually a gift from God. Now, I would dare say this morning, there is no Christian who has lived that better understood suffering than the Apostle Paul. Listen to what Paul said about his life after he came to know Christ in 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter. Five times I received at the hands of the Jew 40 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Three times I was shipwrecked, and out of those three times that I was shipwrecked, I spent a night and a day at sea. And if that's not enough, I want you to know one time I was stoned as well. When you hear those words, does it sound to you like Paul suffered for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ? As a matter of fact, I would tell you when the Apostle Paul writes the book of Philippians to the church at Philippi, he's writing it from a Roman jail cell while he is chained to a Roman guard. Do you think the Apostle Paul understood what it meant to suffering? Paul understood suffering, and he told the believers at the church in Philippi that it has been granted to them by God to suffer for his sake, given to them as a gift of God. So let me ask you this this morning, Christian. When is the last time you looked at the suffering in your life as a gift from God and thanked Him for it. (laughs) I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I find myself in the midst of challenging circumstances, I'm not usually crying out to God saying, Oh God, thank you so much for this gift that you have blessed me with. More apt, I'm likely to say, Oh God, would you please deliver me out of the midst of this storm that I find myself in. Please God, take away the circumstances of life. God, I don't want to suffer. Isn't that the natural response of all of us today? Maybe the key to suffering and understanding its purpose in our life as followers of Jesus Christ is changing our perspective about suffering. What do you think? Paul said, suffering is a gift from God. Now I want you to see this in this passage of Scripture. Go back to chapter 11, verse 1 of John's Gospel. I want you to listen to the words again. Now, a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, that's Jesus Christ, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. Now listen to Jesus Christ's response to that. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified through it. You know what I find most remarkable in this story? is this. 
Jesus Christ could have simply spoken the words as he did when he healed the official son and said, Lazarus, be healed. And at that moment in time, Lazarus would have been healed. But Jesus Christ chooses not to do that. Jesus Christ could have alleviated all of the suffering of Lazarus. He could have alleviated the suffering, the hurt, and the pain of Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus, and he chooses not to do that. And the question I'm left with is this. Why in the world would Jesus Christ allow these people to suffer when he had the ability to deliver them out of the middle of the storm? Do you see that? And the reason is, is because Lazarus' illness would serve a greater purpose. The glory of God. Sometimes I think we forget that simple truth. Everything God does is for His glory. Even the suffering of His people is for His ultimate glory. That's the reason why Paul refers to suffering as a gift from God. It is an opportunity for the believer to glorify God in how he chooses to respond to the suffering in his life. It is a testimony of God's glory to a lost and dying world. How we respond to suffering says a lot to the world about what we believe about the God that we serve. Is God truly sovereign? Does God truly have power over death in this world? How we respond to suffering is a powerful testimony to a lost and dying world. It is for His glory, not ours, is what Jesus Christ says in this passage of Scripture. Do you see that here? Man, this is a remarkable story, isn't it, when I read it? Now, before we move on to point two and we ask ourselves that second question that Jesus is going to answer for us, let me share with you some practical lessons about suffering that we learn in this story. Number one, we learn the Lord allows those He loves to suffer. Two times in this passage of Scripture, verses 3 and 6, it very clearly says that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus in this story. You see, what I have come to understand in life is this. God doesn't choose to deliver us all of the time out of the fire in this world. He most often chooses to walk with us through it. But so often what we want God to do is to deliver us. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Uh, don't look, y'all are just looking at me this morning like, you know, maybe I'm the only one that struggles with this in life. But isn't it so true? Don't we want to live a nice, comfortable life while we're here on earth? Amen? That's not what God's Word promises us, though. Nowhere in God's Word is that ever promised. When I read this story, it refutes the heresy that is being taught by many false teachers today concerning Christianity. That God's will for everyone who follows Jesus Christ is to be healthy and wealthy. That is simply not true. If that were true, 
Why in the world would Jesus Christ not deliver these three people whom he loved from the suffering they were facing? Do you see what I'm saying? It makes no sense at all. It makes no sense. I'll tell you, you can go home and turn on your television and you'll hear that mess spouted on many channels today. The problem is it doesn't add up to the Word of God. And it surely doesn't add up to this passage of Scripture when you read it. Listen, before I move on to practical lesson number two, you need to always interpret your suffering by God's love. Don't interpret His love by your suffering. You see, oftentimes what we do is we look at our suffering and as a result of the suffering, we try to determine how much God loves us. Well, if God truly loved me, He wouldn't allow me to experience this in life. He wouldn't allow me to go through this hardship in life if God truly loved me. The cross screams how much God loves you. So all you need to do is look at the cross. We need to allow the Word of God to be the guide for our lives, not what somebody is saying out here. It needs to measure up against the Word of God. Amen? Number two, we cannot always know the why of our suffering. We suffer, oftentimes when we suffer, the very first question that pops into our mind is this, why me? God, why are, you, why are you allowing me to go through this in life? Did I do something to deserve this? God, are you punishing me for some kind of failure? Am I the only one that's ever asked any of those questions in life? Yeah. Don't we oftentimes do that? I believe the why question is the wrong question. I believe the right question is the what question. What do you want to teach me through this experience of suffering in my life? You see, it's all about perspective, isn't it? Job is a perfect example of this lesson. Even though Job was the most righteous man on earth during his time, Job still needed to learn some important truths about who God was. He had to learn. Now listen, this is important. He had to learn God's glory and God's purposes were far greater than any suffering or loss he would ever experience on this earth. You know, at the end of the day, you know what our great problem is? We love to hold tightly in our hands temporal things. I will tell you as followers of Jesus Christ, there is something more important than the temporal things we have in this world. Let me say it. It is God's glory is what's more important in the life of the believer. I was reminded when I first went to the mission field, I met a man who had been on the mission field for about 40 years of his life. He was telling me, sharing with me some of his experiences after I had asked him, hey, if you were going to give a new missionary, you know, some words that would help him in the future, what would you say to him? 
he looked at me and he said, you know, when I first came to the mission field, God has changed me dramatically since I first arrived. When I first arrived, my prayer used to look like this. God, let me glorify you in the life that I live. He said, as I lived longer on the mission field, that prayer began to change. And he said, this is what I began to pray. God, let me glorify you today, whether I live or whether I die. Let me do it in such a way that it points people to who you are. This side of heaven, we may never understand all of the whys of why we suffer what we suffer. But I will tell you this, the greater purpose in life is this, the glory of God. The glory of God. Number three, in the, must, in the midst of suffering, we can always take our troubles to Jesus Christ. Now, aren't you grateful for that? I am. The sisters did. Did you see what the sisters did in this story? When Lazarus became sick, the first thing the sisters did was seek out Jesus Christ. They sent someone to find Jesus Christ. It seems as though Jesus Christ was about a day's travel from the town of Bethany. They sent someone over there to find Jesus Christ because they believed that in the midst of the suffering that Jesus Christ was the one they needed to take their problems to. But this is what I want you to notice in this story. This story teaches us a lot about suffering. And this is what I want us to understand as we look at this story. What I want you to see is what the sisters did not do. They didn't claim anything by faith. They didn't pray and say, I'm claiming by faith unto the Lord that you're going to heal him. You've got to heal him. They didn't do that. Do you see that here? Neither did they in this story demand anything of Jesus Christ. Jesus, you've got to heal my brother. They don't demand that. Do you see what they do here? They simply seek Jesus out. Because they believe in their heart, in the midst of suffering, Jesus is the one that they could take their troubles to. I've heard faith healers say, we should never preface our prayers with God your will be done because when we preference our prayers in that way it denotes a lack of faith on our part I would say that is not true and that's furthest thing from the truth of God's word instead I would tell you this morning when we preface our prayers in that way God, your will be done. That reflects submission to a sovereign God, the rightful place of every single believer, unless we willingly kneel before Jesus Christ, acknowledging that He is the Lord who saves. There is no hope in our life. Do you see what I'm saying? But so often, we allow what people are saying out there to guide us. And that is not the truth. In the midst of suffering, we can always take our troubles to Jesus Christ. I'm not saying Jesus will always work in the manner in which we want Him to work. That is not what I'm saying. That is the reason why. We pray, Father, Your will be done. You are sovereign. I am not. 
and we bow our knee to that. Suffering. How do we glorify God in our suffering? By realizing that suffering is a gift given to us by God for the purpose of glorifying Him. You know what our single greatest struggle in our relationship with the Lord is? I'm going to let you in on something, all right? The single greatest struggle in your relationship and my relationship with the Lord is this, you and me. That is our greatest struggle. You see, what we really want to do is we want to usurp the authority of God in our life. Think about it for a moment. Eve, when you eat of this tree, you'll become just like God. You'll be your own God, Eve. Do you see that? And since that day, that is the desire of every single person's life is to serve self, to be our own God, to do our own thing. The problem is when we get saved, we are a new creation in Christ, but there is this old nature that wars against the new nature. And you know what it's always wanting to do? Usurp the authority of Jesus Christ in our lives and make ourselves God. Make our own choices, our own decisions. Live life the way I want to. Say what I want to say whenever I want to say it. And as followers of Jesus Christ, this is what we are called to. Get it. Die to self. Die to self. You and I will never be all that we can be in Christ Jesus until we make the choice to die to self. And it is a death that has to happen every single day in our lives. We have to die to self. The words of the Apostle Paul in closing this morning, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live. It is Christ who lives in me. When we came to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, every single one of us gave up the rights to our life. Our life is no longer our own. It belongs to Jesus Christ. Let me ask you a question this morning, believer. Does Jesus have his rightful place in your life? Are you walking in submission, dying to self every day of your life? Is that a definition of your life as a follower of Jesus Christ? We have been called to glorify God in every area of our lives. Father God, we thank you for the truth of your word and the way your word speaks truth into our lives. Father, as we come to this time of invitation, it is an opportunity for us to respond to the Lord in whatever manner we need to respond. Maybe it's for us as believers to take a step back 
and hear the words of the Apostle Paul afresh and anew. That we are a new creation in Christ. That we are to be a different people. For some of us this morning, it may be examining our lives and choosing to die to self all over again so that you can have your way in our hearts and our lives. For some here this morning, Lord, it may be that initial step of giving their heart and life to Jesus Christ. Maybe they've never bent their knee to you and acknowledged you as the Lord who saves and ask them, ask you to save them from their sin. Father, I pray today would be that day. You tell us in your word, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, but today, right now. It's an urgent message. Father, I plead on their behalf that you would convict them and draw them unto a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Father, we give you this time and pray that you would work in your perfect way. In Jesus' name, amen.